0: Let's stand, shall we? We're going to share the creed together. I don't know how many of you have memorized this. We won't test it out this morning, but it is something to get get into your memory banks. But we're going to declare the the creed together. It should be coming up overhead in just a moment. Okay, let's go for it, shall we? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And just in case you weren't here when there was a clarification of what it means by the holy Catholic Church, it means the holy universal church the worldwide church and uh, but there we are the Apostles Creed is a a declaration an affirmation of the truths that are at the heart of the gospel at the the very heart of Christianity take that away and we have nothing for ourselves or for anybody else Uh, in, in saying I believe we are both declaring the truth about God about Jesus about the Holy Spirit about his purposes in the earth. And we're also making a personal affirmation of faith. If you notice, it's I believe. There are times when it's good to express things corporately and say, we believe. But this is a matter that is personal to every one of us. And I would ask you this morning, have you made that decision? Can you confess these truths with, with your heart and say, yes, I believe this about God. I believe this about Jesus Christ. I believe this about the Holy Spirit. I believe this about everlasting life. And uh, there's an old cliche that is out there. It says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. That, that is just just not true. That, that can lead you into all sorts of trouble. And it will certainly lead you into trouble with God if you don't know the truth about him, if you don't know the truth about Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. And uh, so my question to you this morning is, do you know the truth as it is in Jesus? Have you uh, put your trust in him as your own personal savior and Lord? This morning we are declaring the last part and affirming the last part of the creed. We've been through it. I commend you to listen to it again, uh, and be encouraged by it. But this last part, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, to which I want to say a big amen. Yeah. Um, when I was a, a young person, a kid, a young person, I used to hate the idea of dying. My ideas of it were kind of weird and strange because of funerals that I have been to. But, you know, one of the privileges that I've had over over the years, is to sit with people in their dying days. And oh my, you know, when somebody knows Jesus and you're sitting with them in those dying moments, what a privilege it is to see them and to help them and to encourage them as they they step out of this life and into eternity. I think of uh, my own mother-in-law, and and it changed my perspective and... uh, There she had been suffering from cancer. She'd been in hospice. And she decided she wanted to come home to die. And she came home to to Smarden. And there she was, laid out in, in a bed in the room, in the living room. And she had no strength in her body. She was laid back, just propped up just slightly. And there was effectively no life in her and uh, different ones were, were just wetting her lips, and as you do, and so on. And it was going into the night, and suddenly, in the night, strength came into her body in a way that you could not imagine. And suddenly, she sat up, She'd not opened her eyes before. She'd been lifeless. She'd been without anything at all. And suddenly she sat up and she she raised her hands up into the air like that. And suddenly her eyes opened and her face was just a glow. And within a moment she'd gone. Everybody in that room was impacted. And I remember Pam's father saying, I have never seen my wife look more beautiful than in that moment of time. What a precious moment. And for me, that did something about how I understood death. You see, what a hope we have. What a prospect. This is the thing about the gospel. This is not the end, brothers and sisters, when we reach those moments. It's a turning of the page. It's a going over into a new chapter Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 to 3, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. That is the Christian's hope. Hallelujah. Do you know, and that is so, so different to the the barrenness and the bankruptcy of atheistic materialism that believes that this is all that there is, the matter that we are made of, the world that we live in, the things that we can touch and eat and so on. And in doing so, it, it actually makes us all into to prisoners of the unintelligent forces of nature and the planet we live on. And in spite of all the intelligence we have, the ability to think philosophically, to rationalize, to plan, to, to keep pushing the boundaries of creativity, to send a satellite into space and park it a million miles away from Earth. I don't know whether you've been staggered by that. that you know that satellite they've sent up to, to replace the Hubble telescope? I mean, it it took a month to get to where it was, and there's this little zone where there's no pull that way, no pull that way, and they've parked it there, a million miles from Earth. And And from there, it will get better pictures, and it will send more information back. I mean, it's staggering. Materialism insists that human rationality is unplanned, it's unpurposed, it's a product of mindless, unintelligent non-rational forces, forces that will eventually uh, proceed to annihilate every individual's intelligence, creativity, love, hope, and existence. In the end, all it has to offer us is a doomsday scenario. Brothers and sisters, that is why the world is panicking when it looks at the planet, because it doesn't believe in a God who is in control. And yes, we should care for the planet. But we do have a God who is in control, a God who created, a God who sustains, and if he were to take his word away from from our lives and from this planet, in a very moment, there would be nothing. No wonder so many lose hope. So many try to find a way out, one way or another. But praise God, the the creed and the scriptures, they, they tell us a different story. Hallelujah. They, 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 they speak of an eternal and almighty creator God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a blessed and holy and happy community of being who have existed from all eternity and will be to all eternity. A God who is in himself love, not as a church in a, a particular country put on its board just recently that love is God. That is incorrect. God is love. If you say love is God, you've got a complete misrepresentation of the truth. God is love and he has been from all eternity and who in his love has desired a family and so he created a place uh, and he fitted it out for us in every way and then he created humanity in his own image distinct from the rest of creation and placed them there. This is the God we believe in. This is the God who gives purpose to our very lives They speak of a God who has been very much involved with his creation, a God who stepped into the world when we turned our backs on him, a God who has pursued us consistently through history, through Abraham and through his family and through Israel and ultimately through Jesus, a God who takes on human flesh and comes in, because he has such love for us, he comes and he, he dwells in real human flesh just like yours and mine so that the world was staggered at the time, and we're staggered when we consider the Christmas story. Made in the likeness of sinful flesh, a God who loves and redeems and who gathers us into community, who delights for us to to know him and, and to call him father and for us to be siblings. And, you know, that's what I love about that two minutes. You know, we're being siblings. We're being brothers and sisters just sharing together and talking about life and life in God and all the rest of it. A God not only of the past and the present, but a God of the future, a God who will make all things new. Wow. Ecclesiastes talks about eternity being written into every human heart. He has made everything appropriate for its time. He's also put eternity in their hearts. I'm one of those people who occasionally looks at memorial columns. Because when I look at those columns, I see eternity written into the human heart. I see that people want to know about their loved one in some way or other, that they want in some way or other to have some assurance that they are all right. You see, there's something written in here that no matter what our philosophy, what our level of intelligence, there's something in here that that, that relates to eternity, and we can't avoid it. Every civilization in human history has in some way believed in a heaven of some kind, whether it's Aboriginal, Peruvian, Polynesian, Native Americans, or Finns, Romans, and Egyptians. In many ways, this clause is is tied to the earlier one about Jesus. He will come to judge the living and the dead, which speaks of a time and a day when Christ will come again, and as surely as he came the first time, so there will be a second coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 says this, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring those who've fallen asleep For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Years ago, we used to sing a song. When the trump of the great archangel, its mighty tomes shall sound, shall pierce the depths of profound... And it went on, and it goes into a chorus. It goes, changed in the twinkling of an eye. Changed in the twinkling of an eye. There's something there. There's a drama to this that will, yeah, will happen at some point in time. And, you know, that leads us to this idea about the second coming. We haven't got time to dig into this a great deal, but Jesus is coming again. Yes. Now, I'm old enough now, though I don't like to admit it, I'm old enough to remember an era when we thought it was going to happen then. You know, back in the, the 70s and the 80s, any moment now. And there was lots of stuff going on, that, and we kind of thought that it was going to happen within our generation. Let me say this, that there are varying approaches to the second coming. You have the pre-millennial, you have the post-millennial, you have the amillennial, you have the dispensational premillennial, millennial which started around the mid-1800s. There are godly people with different views, and you can get bogged down in those views. You can get, spend a whole life looking at all sorts of things, and even in the last couple of years, there's been a whole lot of stuff out there where people have got into it again in the same way that was our experience in the 70s and 80s. And you can overplay it. You see, there is a danger of reading back into Scripture from where we are and trying to make it mean something and fit something which it was not intended for. Many have claimed, for example, that Revelation was about to be fulfilled only for time and events to move on and for people to be disillusioned and put off. Endless speculation does more harm to prophecy and the witness of the church. Yes, there are things that we can look at and we can seek to understand, but we need to be very, very careful. As surely as Jesus came the first time, so surely will he come again and the best way that we can be prepared for that is being living right with him living right with him and so we declare i believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen yes so first what happens to those who die that's a big question what happens to those who die Our hope, first of all, we need to know, is rooted in the resurrection of Christ. And we've been singing about that this morning, because without that, there is no resurrection. Without that, there is no hope. And you go and read 1 Corinthians 15, and and Paul says, you know, basically to Corinthians, if this hasn't happened, we're of all people most miserable, because we believed in something that wasn't real. We've been found out to be fools, but actually he says it has happened. Jesus is alive, and that is one of the dynamics of the testimony of the early church. They they had encountered a man risen from the dead. And, And let's be sure about this. The disciples didn't really expect it, although Jesus had said he would die and he would rise again. They somehow didn't get it. So when he died, they thought that was the end. Remember that? but suddenly he was alive again. And it's like, oh my goodness, what happened there? And it was their testimony, their testimony to the fact, and even people who are atheistic and agnostic and, and work, work in the areas of research and all this, admit that in some way or other, something happened, but they don't want to admit it. There is a man in the glory. <laughs> There is a human being in the glory, and that's what gives you and I hope when we approach those final days. It's what gives us hope with regard to our loved ones. I love Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Oh, my. We're very often caught up with our own feelings and... That's rightly so in those moments, but actually precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's something about it for him. It's precious in his sight. You see, those who die in the Lord go to be with the Lord in heaven. Go to be present with him. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, as he suddenly recognized the wrong in his life and that he was deserving of death and he recognized who Jesus was. He confesses his sin and so on. And in those brief moments, Jesus turns to him and says, Today... You will be with me in paradise. Today, not 2,000 years' time, but today you will be with me in paradise. I would encourage you not to leave it to that time. You know, this is far too important for that. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to make these decisions to confess Christ and to know that you are right with God. Paul said, writing to the church at Philippi, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And yet, let's be honest with ourselves, we are pretty taken up with this world, aren't we, even as Christians? Pretty taken up with it. So actually, we find it quite a wrench to to leave this world, and yet there have been generations in the past who had a vision of Jesus and a vision of heaven which compelled them. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he said again, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, he spoke about being absent from the body and at home with the Lord. It won't be strange for us. We'll feel like we're at home you know, have you ever been out and had a busy day somewhere and just, I want to get home? You know? I want to get home. I was up in London the other day and I just reached a point where I want to get home. <laughs> you know? There's something about home, isn't there? To be at home with the Lord. D.L. Moody, the evangelist, said, Soon you will read in the newspaper that I am dead. Don't believe it for a moment. I will be more alive than ever before. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my. But there's a serious side to this. Those who die without him are in a sad and tragic state. And they go to the holding cells to await the final judgment. That's why preaching the gospel is so important. Sharing the gospel because uh, there are no second chances. It says in Hebrews 9:27, it's appointed for people to die once, and after this, the judgment. There's no purgatory, there's no reincarnation, and reincarnation is a pretty popular thing at this moment in time, but there is none. No opportunity to better yourself, and we can't do that anyway. And we could think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus, in Luke 16, but we haven't got time. But go and read it and see for yourself. Dante was right when he said in regard to hell, all hope abandon ye who enter here. I don't like the doctrine of hell. I wish it wasn't there. But it is. It is. It's there. C.S. Lewis said this, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signs. You can be on that road and not realize it through that kind of gradualism. Again, the opportunity is here today. If you don't know Jesus, to believe in him, to put your trust in him, to know that you're forgiven, to know that there is no now condemnation for you, to know that you have a home in heaven when you die. I need to draw in somehow. What will heaven be like? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, marvellous, but you know, some people have some weird ideas of heavens, some Christians have weird ideas of heaven. I remember sitting in a, in a group many, many years ago, and we were discussing the subject in some way or other, and it was like, oh my goodness, if that's your idea of heaven, I don't think I want to go there, you know, because some, some it's like we're going to be ghosts, you know, we're going to be disembodied spirits. That, which is nothing, of course, that we can relate to in any way whatsoever. Another thing is, some people think there's going to be nothing to do, it's going to be endless boredom. Uh, for others, they think perhaps it's, heaven is going to be a, a holiday resort, you know, like a, a heavenly golf course where I go and play 18 holes every day and win every one of them and get the best handicap you possibly could. For others, it's like there's a, it's a utopian uh, socialist existence. And for others, listen to this, the fear is it's going to be an eternal worship service. <laughs> I mean, singing for half an hour on Sunday is one thing, but singing for millions of years, I mean, oh my goodness, how are we going to do that? There will be times of worship that will glorious times magnificent times times which you'll enjoy you'll have a beautiful voice etc cetera, etc cetera. you know the harmonies and oh my goodness when you think of the harmonies we can create on earth what will they be like in heaven so number 1 there will be a new heavens and a new earth god is going to create a new environment for us not totally distinct from what we already know Peter says, based on his promise we wait for and are looking forward to new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And John in Revelation 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. There will be a new global Eden. Hallelujah. You won't have to go around with your spray gun, those of you who love gardening, constantly killing the bugs. You won't have to go around thinking, oh my goodness, that one died, didn't it? Um, a new global everything, every, everything. It will be everything that Eden was and more besides. A place where God's presence is known, and it will be the most delightful of places. In your own time, go and look at Isaiah 65, 66, read Revelation chapter 21, but there will be no more curse there. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together, lie and eat the grass, no more sin, no more curse. You know, somehow, we know that this is not how it was meant to be. And every one of us is homesick in some way for heaven. A far, far better place. Secondly, there will be a resurrection. We will get new bodies. Well, I thought there'd be a bigger hallelujah than that. There we will get new bodies. Yeah. I mean, mine is growing older, and I hate to confess that it feels like that at times. But we will get new bodies. The nature of this resurrection body is such that the body that is sown is perishable, but the one that is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, 1 Corinthians 15. We were not made to be disembodied spirits. Yes, we will have real bodies made anew. C.S. Lewis said that our future bodies will be more real, more substantial, perhaps even more human than our present ones, no longer tainted by sin, suffering, and death. Number three, in our resurrection bodies, we will do in the new creation what Adam and Eve were originally created to do in Eden, to reign over God's world and enjoy God forever. Wow. So the Apostles' Creed reminds us that Christian hope is for life. Do you hear that? It's just for life, an eternal life that can never end or fade. And that life will be free and full. It will be creative and energizing. There will be work and, the wor- and worship intertwined. It will be the most marvelous experience, far better than anything you could possibly imagine here and now. You can go and think of what it's like to sit in a concert and hear all the strains and the harmonies of beautiful music. You can go and watch an artist at work creating the most beautiful tapestries. You you can think of the creativity of people who lay out gardens. You can think of the creativity of those who build beautiful places. It's going to excel all of that by a million miles. Oh, we could go on. There will be rewards. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15. This this is all about our work for God. This is why what we're doing now is important. It's not a waste of time. We're not twiddling our thumbs until we get to heaven. We have a job to do. This is not about our salvation. It's about our work for God. So the question is, what are we investing in? What are we building for when it comes to eternity? It won't be identical for us all. Some will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Have authority over ten or five towns. We won't all have the same treasure or authority. Some will be there, listen to this, some will be there by the skin of their teeth. But they will be there. They will be there. And we're gonna get some surprises when we get there. They will. They will be there. But listen, if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There'll be fullness of joy entirely satisfying, nothing to rob us of it, Different capacities. Some will have more capacity than others, and I don't have time to go into that. It says in Isaiah, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy, and its people a delight. My chosen ones will enjoy the work of their hands. Lastly, the invitation still stands. Even at the end of the Bible, we hear these words. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life freely, come. He who testifies about these things, yes, says, yes, I'm coming soon. To which the writer responds, amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you have that sure and certain faith? You can go out of this building knowing. Don't go out not knowing. Talk to somebody. Come and talk to me, Barney, or anybody else. And then secondly, how are you living? Are you living with eternity in view? It shapes what's important, what we invest in. C.S. Lewis said it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become ineffective in this one. Jesus is coming again. I believe in the resurrection and in the life everlasting. Amen.